Thanks for tuning in to Good Dudes Grow 2.0. I'm your host, Gary Roberts, and our next guest is a masculinity coach. He's a men's mental health speaker, facilitator, and mentor. You're not going to want to miss this one. Stay tuned. Let me first start out by saying thank you to Podcast Powertrain for helping produce my show. These are the guys you need behind you if you're looking to start your podcast. Also, I'd like to thank Powered by Riverside FM. That's right. Our show is powered by Riverside FM, one of the best platforms to actually have a podcast on. So I'm going to have some links at the end of the show or in the show notes. Check them out. These are the two people that you need to get up, get with to make your podcast top 100. Good Dudes Grow 2.0, we're here to let you know The importance of plant-based medicine and psychedelics on mental and physical health We're bringing you stories of how these medicines have changed lives and can save lives We want to teach you the healing power of plant-based medicine This is The Good Dudes Grow 2.0 What's up everybody, welcome back to Good Dudes Grow 2.0 I'm your host Gary Roberts and for the first time on the show, uh, like we said, at Good News 2.0, we're trying to bring more value to those suffering with uh, mental illness uh, and mental health problems, especially in the first uh, responder community, veteran community, even the athletic community. So our next guest is actually a masculinity coach, men's mental health speaker and a facilitator and mentor. So this is the first time I'll be talking to somebody who does all that. So this is actually extremely educational for me as well as hopefully educational for all you guys. So Dylan Roos, I appreciate you for jumping on to my show. I am not sure. I didn't know you. Are you, you're in Australia. So I have absolutely no idea what time it is out there. <laughs> no, I'm actually in Hawaii now. So it's 10 a.m. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. So perfect. So, you know, so I didn't wake you up at 6 a.m. Like I've done my other, no, pod, my other buddy that, that lives in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> We're all good, mate. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. This, this is, like I said, it's going to be extremely educational for myself. And, and I think a lot of people who are listening are also going to get a lot out of it. Explain to me how you got started in this, in this work. Actually, how old are you? First of all, because so I'm, I'm 20, you look pretty young. Oh, yeah, I'm 28 years old. Okay, so you're 28. How did you get involved in this? What, what was your backstory that all of a sudden you became this, this you know, mental health speaker, this motivational person, you know, facilitator? Yeah. Yeah. So it really began when maybe four or five years ago, and I was at an event that my girlfriend put on. She was a yoga teacher, and she put on um, these yoga events, and so I, I would tag along to support her, and I, I was practicing yoga at the time, and I'd go there, and I'd be the you know one or two men out of 50 or 60 women and i'd be like man why what's going on where, where are the men where where are we looking after ourselves like really looking after ourselves and so from there my dad and i um he is a or he was a professional afl player which is which is australia's biggest sport um only played in australia and he and he was a professional afl coach so me and him we we came together and and created the ruse men's wellness and leadership club where we challenged men to take better care of themselves whilst targeting that corporate um space because we knew if we get a ceo in and we impact him he's able to impact the 500 people at his company as well so excuse me we um we our first event was a 50 guy breakfast we did yoga meditation and a couple leadership speakers and from there i was like yeah this is the work i want to do i want to work with men this is awesome so from there we ran five events then COVID hit so our events business obviously shut down and i'd already started another business with a couple partners that i that i've just walked away from but i was that was also working with men 35 plus and then i developed my work with 
um, mentoring young men, so 14 to 25, 14 to 23 years old, and mentoring them. And really like the why behind my work or what really got me passionate and motivated in this space was my just my own experience growing up. You know, I, w- I remember, as I said, I grew up in an, in an athlete family. And so um, when I got to 18, and the system in Australia is a little bit different to America, 18 is our draft year. So you basically go from your club club level under 18 straight into professional sport. Um, there's no college system. So I got to 18, I didn't get drafted and I was like, fuck, what am I going to do with my life? Like I've never really had to give it much thought because I just was like, I'll just play sport because I was pretty good at it. And then so I was 18 years old and I was like, I've got no idea. So I, I then that kind of started my path of like, what's my purpose and what am I going to do? And And when I was 20 years old, I went through a really bad breakup with my girlfriend at the time. And like most men, I just was like, get out, had a little cry, got over it, move on, onwards and upwards, man up, that sort of thing. And, and really pushed what I was actually feeling down um, beneath the surface. And so six months later of bad drinking, eating, you know, sorry, lots of drinking, lots of partying, eating shitty foods, no longer exercising, staying up late, sleeping in. Six months later, I didn't get out of bed for a week. And I was like, fuck, this is um, not a hangover anymore. <laughs> this is something else. So I put my hand up, went to see a psychologist. I was 20 at the time. And that's when he, I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety disorder. And so leaving that office, I, I remember thinking, I was like, one, great. Like I'm aware of a problem. I can now address that problem. Cool. And then two, just a lot of shame. Like, again, came from a great family, parents still together. At that time, no deaths in my family. I was living in a $2 million apartment in, in a really nice suburb in, in Sydney. What the fuck do I have to be sad about? I'm depressed. Like, what the hell? Um, and so a lot of shame associated with that. But I, again, that, that was kind of the moment where I was like, I've got a problem. I can address it and I can move through it and find solutions. And so those two pivotal moments of like, what am I going to do with my life? And also having really struggled personally really drives my my why of I want to help young men, help young men. No one's mentoring them um, in, in, in a one-on-one space. No one's speaking directly to young men and, and offering coaching services or mentoring services. And so that's, yeah, really why uh, I got into this space and why I'm so passionate about it. That's interesting because uh- – well, there's a couple of things that are interesting. That it brings up a couple of questions. One of them, you said you went to go see a psychologist. Uh, first of all, first responders, we we basically don't go see psychologists. We go see our friend, either uh, Budweiser or uh, mm. the Jack da- or Jack, Doctor Jack. You know, one of those, one of those, one of those people kind of help us out, like you said. And then they tell us, well, you know, you need to call somebody and talk to somebody. Put posters all over the fire station. Yep. You know, it. it, it that's not still not going to make us go and talk yep. to somebody. We don't want to talk to somebody who has absolutely no clue what we do. Yep. Cause you know, cause talking to them is we could be clueless. What did you, what brought you to go in to see your psychologist or, or what really made you go to take that step? Because that is one big step mm. for, for people in the first responder, either in, in the firehouse or, or in the, the police departments, you know, that first step to going to see yep. somebody to find, like you said, what's wrong with me kind of mm. thing. What made you, was that just something you came up with yourself? Did somebody tell you to go do it? How did that come about? So a big part of this, and I, and I love that you brought this up, is is a big part of it for me was the realization that I didn't have the answers. And a lot of men get stuck there. They can't admit I don't have the answers. And I think, and I'm, I'm sure it is more prevalent in first responders, but what you've mentioned, that's very common for men. 
very common is like, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to get on with it. I'm going to go grab a drink. I'm going to go numb myself somehow and I'm just going to get on with life. And, and so for me, I was 20 years old, right? And I remember growing up, I used to, I vividly remember walking through the airport and the bookstores in the airport would have, you know, you'd have bookstores in the airport and I'd walk through and I'd see this, it was called, I don't know what it's called now, but it was called the self-help section in, in bookstores. And I remember looking at that going, what fucking losers have to read self-help books? Like you don't know how to live your life. You need to read a book on that. Like you're a loser. So I, I came from a pretty big ego at, at, at a young age. Like, oh, I was egotistical, man. Like I was, I had all the answers. I knew what I was doing. I was a good athlete growing up. When I left school, I could get the women, any woman I wanted, I could get. So like my ego was big, man. And it really took me that moment of, of just brutal self-honesty of like, Dylan, this is your life. Like, where are you going to go if you don't change? Like you're 20 years old, two years ago, you were like top of the world, pre, you know, school leader, school captain, playing semi-professional sport in Australia. Now you're in bed and you can't get out of bed for a week. Hey, wake the fuck up. Something is wrong and you don't have the answers. And so I remember having that like, it, it, it took me, it, it didn't happen overnight. Like it took me six months of like every single week I could have woken up, but I didn't. Like every single week I was like drink, 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 drink. But it took me, you know, that wake up call of a week in bed to go, I don't have the answers. And and I was really afraid of what my future will look like if I didn't change. And so that's what motivated me. It was the fear of a worse future. It wasn't some promise of a better future. It was like, if it, if I don't change, I'm I'm fucked. I I was because of the awareness, like you mentioned. We're now aware men are suiciding on in ridiculous amounts now. In Australia, it's nine suicides every day, of which eight are men. That's in Australia with a population of thirty million. America's got a population of three hundred and sixty million. So the statistics, I'm sure, are even worse here. That's what drove me to get help. And then when I got help, as I mentioned. And, and I talk about this all the time. When you take, like you have that humility you, and you have to come to the conclusion, my life is not where I want it to be. And I, and I, and I know that it can get better. And I also know it can get worse. And I don't want it to get worse and I want it to get better. Do I have the solutions? No. Okay. And go and seek help. Um, and, and so I think that really helped me get help that those first, um, that first time. But then I think, the next hurdle is um, it's incredibly uncomfortable, incredibly difficult to then continue to do the work, to continually wake up and be like, oh, I'm, I'm not the man that I could be. That's hard. Like people, I, I, people don't understand. That's really hard realization for a lot of men to come to. Oh, I'm not who I could be. That's, that's a hard realization. And I have to realize that every day through a mirror of a psychologist or some coach or some someone's going to mirror that back. Fuck that. Give me the give me the beer, give me the Jack Daniels. Cuz in the beer and the Jack Daniels I can trick myself into thinking I am all I can be and that life is good enough. And and I talked about this on two podcasts today. The disease of today is comfort. That's that's the disease of today. It's comfort. We're, we're always seeking out comfort. And first responders like you guys are seeking out 
the opposite of comfort in your work, right? Like you're seeking out the fires and the criminals. And so you understand the importance of it, of seeking out that discomfort, seeking out the danger in that area. And if I, if I understand what you're saying correctly, it's still universal amongst men, even in first responders that in my personal life, I want that to be comfortable. I don't want my personal life. I don't want to seek out discomfort in my personal life. And, in, and that's where so much of the juice lies is seeking out the discomfort in your personal life. Right. And that discomfort basically is, uh, if I hear what you're saying and basically from what I'm thinking, from what I've known and from the research I've done building, building the facility I'm building is basically it's reverse of what we do on the job because on the job, we really, I hate the word, it's not that we don't care. It's that we have to lower our, 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 our sensitivity. We got to hide our feelings. We got to, it's a job. We can't show our emotions. We got to take those emotions and pack them away. Mm -hmm. And after a career of, of 30 years of every third day, packing your emotions away, unpacking them when you get home, that is the uncomfortable part yeah. that you're speaking of. hundred percent. And I have so much, like what you've described, because I, and I also think about military as well. Like, what is the solution to that? 30 years of for me to operate at a high level in my career, which is important. This is not trivial. That's important. I have to be this rock and, and I can't break down on a scene. I, I can't break down on the battlefield. I can't break down on the job, but we, how do you unpack that 30 years of that mentality? So it's going to take probably 30 years to unpack it and to unpack the shit that you've accumulated over 30 years. And that's okay. It's that we live in a society where we want, we want a quick fix. We want it right now. We want, we want the, uh, and my heart feels a bit weird. Give me heart medication instead of like, what's your diet? Are you exercising? You know, that, that's a lot harder. So I think, man, you bring up such a good point of like, well, what am I meant to do? And it's, it's self, it's, it's, it's bringing the self-love back of like, I have to realize where I'm at and I'm not going to put the expectation of a normal civilian of, I need to be able to open up and touch him with my feelings like that tomorrow. No, no, no. What if you had one conversation this week that you wouldn't have had last week? Great. What, what about the next week? You have two conversations that you wouldn't have had two weeks ago. Great. Now, you, now you're, you're all, all we're focused on is a little bit of improvement. And then all of a sudden in a year's time, maybe in a year's time after 150, 200 conversations with your friends, your brothers who have experienced what you've experienced, maybe it takes you 200 conversations before you say, okay, I, I will reach out to that psychologist because that's a better solution than beating yourself up for knowing that you need to speak for someone, but you're not because you're too scared to. Right. Is, is that, that we see, see, does that seem like the biggest struggle most men that you talk with have is not only the fact of, of talking about it or coming out or getting uncomfortable is that when you tell them, you know, it's going to be work and it's going to be not today, not tomorrow. It might be next year, but you still have to put in the work. And that's that's one thing that I realized, and we're going to jump into a, another topic here in a minute, that that's what everybody's afraid of. Like you said, everybody wants it yesterday. Yeah. Everybody thinks that, okay, it's even, even like we said, and we'll bring the topic up now, when we talked about uh, uh, the psychedelic aspect of it, 
the psychedelic aspect is great for people who are have that problems of opening up and bringing bringing all that realization out. But that won't just do, do it. Mm. That's not. There's work to be done before that, and there's still a lot of work of unpacking what you just opened up mm. afterwards. It'll never just change instantaneously. Yeah, exactly. Correct? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that plays a big part. But I think the it's the undercurrent of what it means to be a man. That's what's really driving men. It's so if you think back to when you were a boy, especially when you get to thirteen or fourteen. The number one thing that you desire more than anything else, more than getting girls, getting money, whatever, number one thing you desire is being a man, you know, and that's where the confrontation comes between parents and and boys. It's like, give me more responsibility. Let me stay out. Let me do my own thing. I'm a man. I can take care of myself. All right. That's because we all, it's innate in every single man. We want to be a man. Now, what does that mean to be a man? Who's got the definition of what it means to be a man? Well, we look at stereotypes, we look at archetypes, we look at the collective unconscious, we look at all these different things. But essentially in regards to this conversation in doing the work and opening up, vulnerability is associated with weakness. And for us, being a man is about being being strong. And you look at any insult you throw a guy, a guy you look at even just banter, like when you're mucking around with your mates, but every insult we throw at guys is about bringing down their manliness. You're a pussy, you're a fag, you're weak, you throw like a girl, man up, toughen up, you got a small dick. Everything's like, everything's so associated around our manhood. And so if we have an undercurrent of vulnerability equals weakness, weakness equals less than a man, how are you going to, you post as many fucking posters as you want around the firehouse, around the thing. I am not opening up to anyone because I'm a man. <laughs> Right? And that's the mentality. So we need to swap the mentality to vulnerability equaling strength. And you, I mean, you would know this like, hey, Gary, how are you? Good, Dylan, how are you? No strength. Hey, Gary, how are you? Man, I'm not doing too good. Do you have a second to talk about it? I'd love to chat about like work's fucking stressful, man. I had to deal with this and the missus is on my back. And yeah, life's actually pretty stressful. You got a moment to talk about it. Yeah, brother, I got time to talk about it. That takes strength. So that's the conversation shift is, and, and we can, because I'm a big believer of utilizing men's ego and actually flipping it back on them and, and utilizing it for the greater good. You're, you know, and I've never said this on a podcast or I've never done this in my real life, but if it's, you know, you're a bitch for not opening up, you know, like use the ego, especially in these hyper-masculine environments. You're being a bitch right now. Face your shit, own up to your shit. Talk to me, brother. I'm here. I love you. You know, face it. I'm here. I'm here for you, brother. And and I think that that stepping stone is is to getting your friends to open up or getting men to open up. It's the personal responsibility of okay. I want my five mates to open up. I want you know, if you're a captain of a of a police force, you're a captain of a fire station, whatever. You're the leader. If you're not having a conversation with your men every single day about your own struggles and your own vulnerabilities, and this doesn't have to be like, and this is the balance, you know, this is the balancing act, right? You don't want to come to um, your subordinates or um, or your partner and completely break down crying, like because then I I still get there's a level of like a level of authority or there needs to be some level of like, I can trust you. But if I can come to you and I go, yeah, man, I'm battling. Like, 
I feel for you guys. You guys are out there every day and, man, I remember what it was like to be like that and it was tough, man. And, I, and, and this is what I went through. When I open up to you, you're going to open up to me. Maybe not straight away, maybe not in a week, maybe not in two weeks, but eventually you're going to open up to me if I'm continually opening up to you. Because how it feels when only one person opens up and I'm the guy that's being shut off, I can feel like, I kind of feel like, oh, I want to open up now. Like I feel safe too, but also I don't want to leave my mate hanging in opening up to me. Like I want him to feel like he belongs so we've all got these these universal principles running our systems. It just takes that one guy that comes into the into these circles and goes, "Hey guys, I'd love to chat. I'm not doing too well." You're, if you've got good friends around you, which I'm sure the people listening to this podcast are really good people, they're going to be like, "Oh, dude, talk to me. Like, what's going on?" Right. Mm. Yeah, one hundred percent. Now you work. You said you work a lot uh, with young men. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And trying to bring them to that that role model of what a man is supposed to be. What are the biggest struggles you see with today's generation of being a role? Because right now they're they're just being toned apart that, you know, there is no manhood, you, you, there is no leadership, there is no strength, you know, you know, with everything that's going on and they're being taught, especially on social media, on TikToks and this and that, you know, everything what do you see as the biggest struggle young young men are having nowadays? It's, it's what you just mentioned. A lack of healthy masculine role models is what, is what they're lacking and what they're struggling with. Because if I, don't have, if I don't have a blueprint for what it means to be a man, and we've already agreed that that's what all young men want is to be a man, then I'm going to find it elsewhere. So, and, and it's not an option. It's not like young men can just choose, oh, I don't want to do that. No, no, no. You're doing it unconsciously. You might not be aware of it, but you're doing it unconsciously. Why did you choose to do this? Why did you choose that? Oh, I don't know. It's because you learned it from someone else because someone else that you unconsciously maybe respected did that. So young men are really in America, like you look at the statistics of single mother um, household and you look at the statistics of um, boys that are incarcerated and men in prisons, the number one um, contributing factor to antisocial behavior and long-term criminality is fatherlessness. So not necessarily like, you need a father, but you need a father figure. That's that's not a negotiable. That's not, it's not, you can choose to have one. You need one. You. It's the most important thing in a young man's life. You have to have a male role model. And hopefully it's a good male role model or a healthy male role model. I agree. I agree with you. And that's, that's hard to find, especially even in the, in the fire service, because, you know, we all have our own demons and stuff. Mm. To be that healthy role model, we first have to find our own paths and then finding those own paths, then we can slowly bring into the paths of our kids. Yeah, definitely. But it is interesting back, I mean, to, I guess, properly answer your question um, <laughs> about, about what are they struggling with? Cause that was more like, okay, well, what the solution is the healthy male role models and they are struggling with that. But what they're struggling with is now the opposite of your generation and, and even a little bit of my generation. I feel like my generation was the last one that, that, has a bit of, so I talk about heart and backbone and, and it's necessary to have both as a man. I need to be, I need to be resilient. I need to be um, able to handle difficult things in life because life's going to throw a lot of challenges at me. But I also need to be in connection with my heart and I need to have emotional intelligence and be able to tap into wisdom. And that's also equally important for the young guys now. And I think this does link to the, to the lack of male role models. What they're struggling with is their backbone. There, they, so your generation was all backbone and the guys listening, all backbone, very little heart. Now it's like 
all heart or or not even a healthy version of heart because I'm I'm starting to pick up now. It's not even it, it's this pseudo heart. It's a fake connection to heart. It's it's not a real connection to heart. But now they don't even have the resilience. So I, I think kids are worse off now than they have been in the last hundred years, and it's because they're lacking male role models. But what they're struggling with is the resilience to face the difficulties of life. Why? Because life is so comfortable now, so comfortable. Why would I, why would I voluntarily put myself into uncomfortable situations? Mum and dad have right. got a nice house. I can watch, I can binge watch 10 different TV shows for the next 10 years. I can, I can swipe on my phone and get a girl to come over without ever talking to her. I can get food delivered to my doorstep without leaving my home. So comfort is the disease of the modern man. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest, I think the lack or the destruction of our sports nowadays, I call it destruction because there's no, it taught young men early the definition of a teamwork, leadership, you know, playing your role, uh, the ability to go from a lower position to a higher position, failure, loss, everything from now it's like, oh, don't worry about it. Everybody gets an award. Everybody plays. You know, congratulations. You know, yeah. Yay. You lost all year long, but don't worry about it. Here's a medal. What What in the hell is that all about? Mm. That, you know, that's where a lot of, of I feel that, that the young men got the role models from because they were able to look up to somebody because that's where they really wanted to go. Yeah. Am I wrong? I, I think so. And I think it, it, it filters out into a lot more of society. And the undercurrent of what you've just said is, if I put in effort, what's my reward? Nothing now in sport, right? What you're talking about, participation medals. Right. Like, okay, why would I strive if little Jimmy, who's not doing any training, he shows up and gets a medal and I get the same medal, well, why am I going to try now? And the undercurrent that, that that plays out into the various aspects of society is if I'm a, if I'm a boy – and I'm, or a girl, and I'm looking out into society, but it, this is mainly boys, looking out into society and I'm seeing what's around me and divorce rates are at an all-time high, obesity rates are at an all-time high, suicide rates are at an all-time high, mental illness rates are at an all-time high, 13% of the American population enjoys their work, so mum and dad are coming home stressed out, unhappy, we're more medicated than we've ever been. If that's my viewpoint of what it means to be an adult and what it means to take on responsibility. Why the fuck would I want that? And so young men are looking out and thinking, I don't want that. And it's the story of Peter Pan playing out massively right now. Captain Hook is the archetype of the parent and Peter Pan is the archetype of the boy that doesn't want to grow up. And so we're seeing that play out so much now. So, so much more than we ever have. That's, that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Well, uh, one last question before we go. Uh, I know we talked about it a little bit before. I would like to look, know, know about your experience that you had with ayahuasca. Yeah. Everybody who actually has done it uh, had different experiences. I would like, you know, to let me know exactly what you felt and how did that change or if it did change what you're doing now in any, in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my ayahuasca experience was, by far the most profound experience of my entire life. And I've done 
so I've seen psychologists, I've had different coaches, different mentors, different healing modalities, men's weekends, breath work, everything. And the experience I had not ayahuasca was just incredible, like life-changing. Life and I say that with so much confidence. And when I came out of the ceremony, I was telling everyone about it. I was like, you've got to go sit with plant medicine. It's the best thing ever. Um, and but before, before you start, before you start, start, why did you decide to go and do it? I had a lot of issues with the feminine. I had a lot of issues with my mum. And she was beautiful. Like she was great. But I, I had, I, so I was working with my coach. I was working with a kinesiologist a couple of weeks before I sat. And we were doing this thing called a spiral. And it's like you go through the nine chakras and you're clearing energy and belief systems at each chakra level. And it, um, and, and so we're going through and we get to the heart, the heart chakra. Something came, I can't remember specifically, something came with my mom. It was, it was a block with my mom. And it was like, are you, are you wanting to forgive her? And it was like, no. And it was, and I'm sitting in this space and I'm being coached this man. And I'm like, if like, and this is what I said on the call. And this is when I was like, oh fuck, again, I've got a problem. <laughs> I said on the call about my mother who I love dearly and has done so much for me. I'm sitting there and I'm holding all this pain in my heart. And my coach asked me, are you willing to forgive her? And I said, no, I would rather burn and see her burn too than heal and forgive her. And I was like, fuck. And, and my coach is like, and I, and, and talking through and they're like, you realize that this is hurting you more than it's hurting her for you. And I was like, I don't care. She, I was like, she will never feel my love. I, and she's like, I'm so for it. Like my mom is not, she didn't beat me. She didn't do it. Like it was just a couple things that were really deep wounds for me. And I couldn't, and I was like in this space with a coach, couldn't release. And I was like, and I came out of that and I cried for like 30 minutes. And I was like, consciously, I, I don't want that. But subconsciously, I couldn't. So I was like, I need to work on my relationship with the feminine and, and that mother archetype because I was cheating on all my girlfriends. I was sleeping around. I My wound was when I was 18, my girlfriend slept with my best friend. And so I didn't address or heal that. And so I just hurt. I kept all women at an arm's length and I was like, cheating and doing all this just really, um, really bad behavior, which led to a really poor belief system around who I was. And in the weeks leading up to my ceremony, I remember having conversations with my friends just being like, I'm just a bad person. Like I'm, that's just who I am. I'm, I, I didn't really drink much. I didn't really, I don't, I hadn't, I don't do any drugs. Like up until that point, I'd smoked weed a couple times and I'd done a little bit of mushroom chocolate six, two or three times. So I was not big, but I was like, and I didn't gamble and I didn't drink much, but I was like, but women, women are my crutch. And that's just who I am. I'm just the guy that that's my thing. You know, some people drink too much. I just, so, so I was really stuck and I couldn't, and I wanted to, I didn't want to cheat. I didn't want to do these things, but I was in this bad place. And when I went through my, and so that's, that's what got me to go like, again, I don't have the answers. And, and a couple friends had done it and there was a really good shaman that I, I, I'd heard great things about. And, you know, the universe kind of just aligned where I was driving down the road and one of my friends, I was like, hey, man, I heard you help facilitate. He's like, yeah, we've got a ceremony in two weeks time. I'm like, I'm in, I'm done. How much? You know, X amount. I'm like, great, I'll, I'll bring it. I'm done, I'm in. And that's what led me. And then I got exactly what I needed, you know, like in the ceremony, 
it was so much about that healing of myself, healing the relationship with my mom. And I had a past life experience that came up and, and I went through that and healed that where um, my mom fed me to lions in Africa, you know? And so I saw that and I was able to heal that and forgive my mom and say, hey, I forgive you. And, and, and so I came back into this lifetime and then, um, and then really worked on that. But it was so much about the relationship with myself. Like I, I thought I was such a bad person. Like I just I had this deep self-hatred of who I was. And then in the ceremony, healing that and like receiving, it was at this one point, it was God's love in the ceremony. Like I was, <laughs> I was looking up and like I had my eyes closed the whole time, but this white light was just shining down. And I was like, oh, I was like, no, no, no. And then it was like, I am worthy. And I was like, no, no, no. Was like, I am worthy. <laughs> like just this beautiful experience, man. And I can't wait to sit again. Um, Cause it was such a beautiful experience and it really healed. If I didn't sit with that, I've got a partner now and we're pregnant about to have my firstborn. And I'm so excited for, if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have healed my relationship. My, me and my mom had to have a great relationship. Now I, I spoke to her about my ayahuasca experience and really healed stuff. So the ayahuasca experience was brutal. Like it was hard. It was, and this is back to my point around like it, doing the work. It's work. This is why men are not doing it. Cause it, it is fucking hard. Like I sat in that ceremony for like six, seven hours and I went through hell in some parts, but man, would I do it again? A hundred times over, a hundred times over. Cause the, and there's a really powerful quote and it's the, the cost of change pales in, con- pales in comparison to the power of the pivot. The cost of change pales in comparison to the power of the pivot. That's so powerful, man. I so believe in that, you know, like I, I really do believe in that. And and when we can reshape the conversation for men around, it takes a lot of strength to do this work. Then more men will do this work. Wow. I I think that's a perfect note, note to actually end on that, on that right there. Um, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out to you or wanted to follow you on social media, we'll put those in the show notes, but where would they, where would they go for those listening? Yeah. So I'm pretty, um, active on Instagram and shoot me a message. Let me know what you thought of the conversation. I respond to every message. Um, Dylan, D Y L I N dot ruse, R O O S. And then my, uh, website, www.dylanrusecoaching.com. Perfect. I'll put those in the show notes. Dylan, this was an awesome conversation. Like I said, very educational for myself. I'm pretty sure all of my good people in the, in the fire service and in the first responder industry will actually get some great messages out of it. And I appreciate once more you coming on my show. Good, man. Thank you very much. And, and thank you to all the, the service men and women that are doing their thing, keeping us safe. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the show. And like I said at the beginning of the show, I'll have some links for you. So if you're interested in starting your podcast yourself, one of the best places to go is Podcast Powertrain. Right now, they're doing an, an amazing offer for all their course material. If you want to actually help get your uh, show ranked, all you got to do is go to gooddudesgrow.com forward slash powertrain and you'll get all the information there. Also, if you're looking for a platform, not sure which platform to use to record your show on, Riverside FM is the one we use. You can also go to gooddudesgrow.com forward slash Riverside. Check them out and you will not be disappointed. Again, thank you for all listening to the show and we will see you. Well, we'll see you, but. Good Dudes Grow 2.0. Thank you for tuning in. If you're still listening to this, that means you gained something out of this episode. 
So make sure you share it with a friend Leave a review and subscribe So you never miss an episode of The 